So happy new year. Here we are, the first day of 2017, and we look at the new year as a time of making resolutions to improve ourselves, to quit habits that aren't good for us, get more exercise, eat healthier, improve our finances by getting out of debt and saving money, learning a new language, taking a class at the local college, volunteering more, well maybe you want to reinvent yourself or try a new hobby, or you want to reduce in your life. I want you to try I want you to go into the future. I want you to go to December 31st. I'm going to give you just a, like a few seconds to take a minute to think about what 2017 will look like in regards to your obedience to God. Think about our obedience to God, what it's going to look like at the end of 2017. Well, when Heidi called me to let me know that Pastor Peggy and Forrest would be on vacation, and she was looking for help giving the message on uh, Sunday uh, and, as, and at real life, um, I said yes. You see, for me, that's a way that I can be obedient to God. When I gave my first message a couple of years ago, God had called me to do this to kind of step out of my uh, comfort zone. It is a little nerve-wracking to stand up and, and think that I'm, I'm, I'm giving a message that uh, God has called me to give. Um, so for me, being up here is one way that I'm obedient to God. You know, I'd been thinking about my obedience before Heidi had called. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Peggy talked about how God used the unexpected, I don't know if you remember this, um, the least likely, the unknown for his kingdom and for his glory. Um, I thought about what she had said, how God had used people like Abraham and Sarah at the age of 100 years old and 90 years old to not only start their family but to start and create a nation, how he used Moses who said, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled to bring the people, his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, and then King David who started out as an uh, ordinary um, shepherd boy. And I thought about what they all had in common, and that was being obedient to God's calling, willingness to obey God. And you know, there's many examples in the Bible. So let's see what obedience looks like in the story of Gideon, found in the Old Testament. And if you want to write this down in your notes, it's Judges uh, chapter 6, 7, and 8. You can go back this week and kind of read through that. Um, and, and then just a reminder that it is important to include the Old Testament study with the New Testament. The Old Testament gives us the foundation for the teachings and events found in the New Testament. We see humanity's fall uh, into sin in Genesis 3 and the promise of a deliverer in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, due to sin. And in order to understand the sacrifice Christ made as well as his obedience, we need to understand the sacrificial practice set up in the Old Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment of God's perfect plan, his purpose, and promise of salvation through Christ, which he gave in the Old Testament. The Old Testament describes physical and spiritual warfare and the events in the lives of real, ordinary people, their successes, their failures, their faithfulness, and their disobedience. The story of Gideon starts out with God not being very happy with his people, the Israelites. 
For those of you who may not be familiar with the story, the Israelites were the ones that God saved from Pharaoh and had Moses lead them across the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, hundreds of years had passed since that time, but throughout all of God's miracles that they had experienced, they still did what they say was evil in the eyes of the Lord. There were consequences for these actions, which meant that God didn't bless them, but placed them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites took or ruined all their crops and animals, and in fact, it was so unbearable that the Israelites had to hide from them in caves. And this is where we find Gideon. Well, not in a cave, but he was at the bottom of a uh, wine press. Um, if you'd like to follow me along in your Bibles, I'm going to read from Judges 6, verses 6 through 16. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord your God, and you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, who was um, Gideon's father. He was also of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon's son of Joash was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. You know, Gideon was a little slow to believe he could, be res he could rescue Israel, and he wanted to be sure this was God talking to him. So he brought an offering of meat and unleavened bread, and when the angel touched the sacrifice and fire came up from the rock beneath it and consumed the offering, Gideon had enough faith to obey. The story goes on to tell us how Gideon obeyed the Lord by taking down the altar of Baal, which his own father had built, as well as the Asherah pole where the Israelites worshipped and prayed to their fake gods. The Spirit of God enabled Gideon to raise an army to fight the Midianites. 32,000 men responded to his call. However, God directed him to pare down those numbers, eventually to about 300 men, so they wouldn't brag about the wind, so that they knew God was in charge and that they were not. God provided every detail for this plan. At Gideon's signal, the small army smashed clay jars, waved torches with their left hands, they shouted, and blew horns they held in their right hands. The Midianites were so confused by the noise and the light, they began fighting each other, and as they fled, the Israelites attacked. Because of Gideon's obedience to every detail of God's plan, 
Gideon led 300 men against the overwhelming force of Midianites, which was about 135,000 warriors, and they defeated them. So what do we learn from this story? Well, number one, God uses willing, ordinary people to accomplish his plans. We see how God saves his people through Gideon, which demonstrates his power to use a humble, obedient individual to overcome a very strong army. And if you'll look closer at some of the stories um, that God has provided in the Old Testament, this is a pattern for the coming kingdom when Jesus overcomes all nations through his body, the church. The second thing we learn is obedience is about listening to God and following his plan. Gideon was careful to ensure it was God's will he was obeying. And like the Israelites, we have nothing to boast about, no strength for our own deliverance. We were lost and without hope in this world, but we are saved because of God's mercy, not because we were the best of the best. We receive God's salvation on our behalf through Christ when we are obedient. Lloyd Stilley, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Gulf Shores, Alabama, said it well in his article, Six Trust Lessons from Gideon. God graciously confirmed his power to Gideon. Our Lord was developing this man into a fully convinced servant, matching each doubt with kind reassurance. God will show you the same patience as well as you seek his face, allaying your fears to grow you into a man or a woman of God. The third point is being obedient means we must first get our own house in order. Gideon obeyed God when he destroyed the altar to Baal, and think about it, his father had built that, and then he destroyed the Asherah pole, which all of the Israelites had been worshiping around. He was cleaning up his own house before moving on to others. Remember, God sees our hearts so clearly in how we privately worship, how we worship in our own homes, tells God so much about us. And then the last point, dependence on God, is the heart of our journey. We have to depend on God in order to obey because his assignments are often beyond our ability. And I'm proof standing right up here today because I couldn't do it without him. And as a believer, we're responsible to obey God. There is never a time a believer is not responsible to be obedient to God. And yes, we are believers, as believers, we're responsible for our obedience to God. Me, I find it difficult to be obedient when God calls me, and so since I know I'm responsible for my own obedience, I find myself rationalizing disobedience. But I think we all know that disobedience places us outside of God's blessing and purpose for our life. And in rationalizing our disobedience, we bring our holy, sovereign God down to our level. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer writes, much of our difficulty as seeking Christians stems from our unwillingness to take God as he is and adjust our lives accordingly. We insist upon trying to modify him and to bring him nearer to our own image. I want you to think about that. We insist upon trying to modify him and bring him to our own image. Well, disobedience has many faces, and I'm going to share a little bit about myself. For me, disobedience comes in the form of self-control. I convince myself that it's okay to watch a movie or TV series with questionable language, and I, I just figure, well, everybody else is doing it, 
and then I have to think I sound like a 12-year-old talking to my mom. Everybody else is doing it. And then I convince myself that one more bite of food is okay and it won't hurt or that I can start my diet tomorrow. And the big one, I want to be in control of my life, which leads to pride. You know, I have such a hard time letting go because for whatever reason, I think I know what is best. Being obedient shouldn't be that hard. In fact, and, and I'd like to write, have you write this verse down in your notes, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, tells us how um, we prove our love to God. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Did you know that disobedience can also come in how we support our spiritual leaders? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about this in detail. Look at Saul. God's prophet, Samuel, anoints him as God commands him to, and Saul is proclaimed king. He leads the Israelites through several military victories, but unfortunately, a downward spiral begins. And you can read in 1 Samuel where Saul disregarded God's prophet, Samuel, first by looking at his own immediate circumstances and performing a sacrifice, which was typically performed by a priest, and then failing to eliminate all of the Amalekites and their livestock, and then he tries to cover it up uh, by lying to Samuel. Well, was it fear for Saul, or was it pride for Saul? I'm not sure, but he didn't listen to Samuel, who is his spiritual leader, and he tried to rationalize disobedience. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. I'm going to say that one more time. Their work is to watch over your souls. You know, I've read that so many times, but when I've been, I had been reading it the last uh, couple months, it really hit me. And then they are accountable to God. Give them reasons to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit. In other words, God calls us to obey godly church leaders. And fortunately, we have the perfect leader. Jesus demonstrates biblical leadership. His example, which is outlined in his word, is what a church leader should imitate, what we as his body should be encouraged by, and what we should submit to and obey. God promises us in Jeremiah 3.15 that he will give us shepherds after his own heart who will guide us with knowledge and understanding. I believe he's followed through with that promise to Baseline and Bellevue in blessing us with Pastor Peggy's leadership, with her gift of outreach, her gift for art and graphics, her administrative skills, which with all the reports that are required is so important. And then most importantly, her heart for bringing people to know Christ. She is sincere in her devotion to the word of God and to prayer, as it says in Acts 6.4, or 6, 4, if you want to write that in your notes so you can go back and take a look at that chapter, Acts 6, verse 4, and being obedient to God's will and authority in her life. And when I think about what Pastor Peggy has been called to do, watch over my soul, and then be accountable to God for it, I know I want to give her a reason to do it with joy and not with sorrow. <laughs> I, am a, I, can, I tend to be a bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Her messages are that of love and reminders of nurturing and growing our relationship with God. 
And I remember her message, The Search for Authentic Identity, which was just a few months ago. She told us not to miss out on God's best for us. God's intention for us is to understand ourself in light of our eternal identity, our essential identity in Jesus Christ, as well as our effective identity, what he has created us to do. Uh, she went on to say that we need to trust God to reveal these things to us as we nurture our relationship with Jesus Christ. And what better way to trust God than to be obedient to him in every detail of our life? One way to be obedient is praying for Pastor Peggy, um, asking God to grant her wisdom and humility, a love for her congregation because we're bringing her joy and not sorrow, right? <laughs> uh, and protection as she watches over those of us in her care. We should pray for her each week as she prepares her messages and pray for ourselves that our hearts would be responsive to God's truth. Paul often asks his readers to pray for him. In Romans chapter 15, verses 30 and 31, and you'll want to write that down in your notes. Again, Romans chapter 15, verses 30 and 31, Paul instructs his readers to pray on his behalf. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I'll be rescued from those in Judea who's, who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I am taking to Jerusalem. As I close, I want you to think about what our obedience has to do with our salvation. The fact is that our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior must be on his terms. His word says you can't accept him without obedience. And according to his word, obedience is vital to salvation. Without obedience, you fail to understand what it means to accept him. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 27 says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my uh, teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. God commands us to believe in Jesus. We keep his commands by abiding in him and seeking him. As we grow in our faith, obedience becomes very clear since faith itself is a command from God that we must obey. John 6, 29 says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. God does want action, not to earn salvation, but as proof of a surrendered heart, an obedient heart. So ask yourself this because I have. <laughs> and remember what I said earlier, even Gideon needed to clean up his own house before stepping out for God. What specific area of weakness in your life do you need to bring into obedience to Christ?
Maybe it's a preoccupation with material concerns and spending beyond your financial situation. Or maybe it's selfishness. Are you asking God what's in it for me? What about shifting blame and denying your personal responsibility? Or maybe it's pride, talking about your accomplishments and forgetting to give God the honor and glory. Choosing to not obey God is costly. Society's widespread viewpoint has become a disregard for moral values and truth, and so we find ourselves rationalizing obedience. God's will is no longer seen as essential in our decisions and our actions. But the good news is that God gave us his word to protect us from disobedience. He loves us. And when we're honest with him and willing to acknowledge our sinfulness by confessing our sins to him, nothing pleases and glorifies God more. Being obedient demonstrates our faithfulness to God. We obey God's commands not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love him. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6, and you'll want to write that down in your notes, says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love him. That is how, that is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So I'll ask again on December 31st, 2017, what will your obedient heart look like? I'd like to do something a little different than just praying by myself. I'd like to ask um, each of you to join me in the covenant prayer, which you'll find in your hymnal on page 607. I thought it would be a good way to start the new year. It's a reminder of our covenant with God as believers. <clears throat> 